Well, good morning to all. Thankful to see you here. Uh, As promised, Jesus is here as well. I mentioned that last week. Um, So as long as there's two or three here, Jesus promised to be here as well. Uh, 73rd Psalm is where we're going to be uh, today. It's an interesting psalm, and it's been... Um, and it's written by an interesting person. We don't know a lot about this guy, but the title of my message, and it's not an all-inclusive title, is The High Calling with a Distracted Eye, and a, a sort of a subtitle to the message, Asaph, Asaph the Honest Man. Sort of a... Uh, scenario here that I would think of. Asaph, if you think of him as a, uh, he was a believer. This is in Old Testament times. You couldn't really say he was a Christian as we would think of a Christian, but he was a believer. And so if he were in our uh, town today, uh, his job would be to be a worship leader in the church. And so I can imagine what it would be like. Uh, we come on the parking lot out here, and um, I say, I'll call him Ace. He's, I call him Ace because I know him well, see, instead of Asaph. So I say, oh, morning, Ace. How, how's it going today? The beautiful day, the sun's shining. Uh, we, we could use some rain, but it's a great day to come and worship the Lord together. And so how are you today? And Asaph says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. That's the first verse of the 73rd Psalm. And then he was going to go on to say something else, and I say, uh, oh, yes, uh, great day, great day, uh, nice to have you here, Uh, praise the Lord, let's go inside and get to it. My question was, was, was to him, how are you doing today? And I didn't want to hear the stuff beyond verse 1 of the 73rd Psalm. I didn't ha- want to hear how he's really doing today. I just wanted him to pump me up, you know, say something mi- nice and positive back to me, and uh, would go in together and really have a great time of worship. We're going to get back to the 73rd Psalm, but let me read a little bit about Uh, who this Asaph was. 2 Chronicles 5, verses 11 and 14. 11 through 14. And I will read, and then after I read this passage, we'll pray, and then we'll get into uh, some of the text. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, you don't have to turn there. Uh, This is a time when David has brought the the, uh, ark ark up to the tabernacle that he's constructed. Uh, It had been... Uh, taken away by the Philistines, and they'd uh, gotten it back. They they had it a couple different places, but the time comes when um, David brings it back up, and here it's uh, Solomon has built the temple, and he's got uh, everything prepared for the ark to be placed back in the temple. Starting with verse 11, 
And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites who were, th- who were the singers, all those of Asaph and, the, and Heman and Jejuthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having symbols. That was one of Asaph's, uh, that was Asaph's um, instrument for the uh, service he had. I don't know how you make, make music with symbols. Uh, people that have ever been in band might understand that, but to me it's always pretty loud and pretty. Uh, is that music or is it just a loud noise? Anyway, he was, he was a cymbal player. Stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. So Asaph took a part in this beautiful ceremony when the glory of the Lord filled the house. I'm going to just read a couple more verses and then we will get into the text before us. Another verse in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Okay. Says this. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 says... And he's talking to Christians here. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your life has a lot of the same goals that Asaph's life was to have. To be praising God, to show forth who he is, who Jesus is, to praise him because he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's one that uh, is a little uncomfortable. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, it says this. In a King James Version, it says, Confess your faults to one another. The New King James uses a different word. It says, Confess your trespasses to one another. And in some manuscripts, it even goes, goes as far as to say, confess your sins to one another. So when I met Ace in the parking lot, he was about to confess some of his sins uh, to me, and I really wasn't interested in hearing them. He was going to tell me the things that were troubling him. I would rather that we had a little, uh, you know, sort of a converted phone book booth back there in the corner where if I'm going to confess my sins, I'd want to go back there and turn the light off and I'd confess my sins and whoever else happened to be in there would have to have that little curtain there so they, so they wouldn't, I wouldn't have to look them in the eye. And, or I'd want to go home and while my wife is fixing dinner or lunch, depending on which part of the country you're in, uh, I can go into the bedroom and close the door and confess my sins to, to Jesus uh, in the quiet of the privacy of my bedroom. 
And so you don't have to know about them. Let's pray and then we'll get right to the passage. Father, we're thankful that we can look into your word. We uh, can sympathize with Asaph. We can empathize with Asaph because um, when we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we are um, like him, too much like him perhaps. And yet uh, we're thankful that he had the boldness to um, tell the truth about his life and the things that were troubling him and actually came up with a solution for it. We just ask that you would bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, that first line was great. He really, he was ready, he was ready to be a part of this worship uh, experience. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. And now I'll just read through the, the uh, 73rd Psalm, and then we'll get back to going a little bit at a time and talking a little bit more about it. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes, in some manuscripts, use, use the word face instead, which I thought was kind of nice. I'll, so I'll read it that way. Their faces bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. I don't visualize that as a tongue actually walking through the earth. That's a, uh, talking about, uh, I know people like this. I'm not going to name names, and you won't have to name names e either, because as I read through this, there are names that come to your mind, because you know these people. And you're not going to be unkind and name them. Anyway. And their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people, people associated with this person, return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Uh, Ahaz, Asaph has this right. He evaluates. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. He's making comparison here. Uh, these wicked people, they're wicked and they prosper. They're at ease. They get richer all the time. They're, they're just gaining riches. And here, poor me, here I am. I'm, uh, I've worked so hard for Jesus, and I've washed my hands in innocence. I've cleansed my heart in vain. What do I get for this devoted service? 
However, he recognizes that he has responsibilities. And he goes on to say, if I had said, this is verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, I'm going to let it all out there. I'm going to say how I really feel. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And after, afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for, I, for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Okay. I feel compelled to pray before we read the text uh, back verse by verse, but I think we should do that. Father, we're thankful that we have your word. We're recognizing that Jesus is here to observe. We recognize the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and the Holy Spirit works in our world to convict men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Help me as I bring this uh, text out in a little more detail to speak what you would have me speak and not uh, have uh, my own opinions going forth as uh, gospel truth. We ask that you would deal with us in our hearts as we read this text and bless us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Very truthful. He says, Ace, when I met him in the parking lot, this is what he was going to say when I said, how are you doing today? And didn't want to hear the answer. Well, he says, he says, but as for me, I've been having trouble. I almost stumbled. My steps were near, had nearly slipped because I was envious of the boastful. What is envy? Any of us, anybody want to define it? Yeah, you don't have, you all know what envy is. It's uh, wanting something that you don't have, even if it's somebody else's something, and you want it. Uh, the person that he's envious of um, is actually not a person that you really want to be associated with that much, it says, because they are boastful. And this is that person I was talking about that 
that you know and I know, and uh, you, can only, you can only stand so much of a person like that. They are boastful. Uh, the subject they love the best is themselves, as we all are a little that way, but envious. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They got lots of stuff. For there are no pangs in their death. Now that's kind of a word that isn't used often. Pangs. Emotional or physical distress. They have no pangs in their death. They come up to the come up to the line to cross and they're not troubled. But their strength is firm. You look around and say, well, they're not troubled like other men. They're not plagued like other men. And so we become envious because, uh, as I said there er earlier, it says, I get chastened. In Hebrews, it tells us that uh, all those who are children are actually uh, chastened by the Lord. That's actually, uh, I don't know, I have the passage written down here, but it's in Hebrews. He says that uh, the God chastens all the sons that, that are his, and if you're without chastisement, perhaps you're not a child. They're not plagued. Here's the troubling. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. On TV, there's this guy that comes on. He's selling pillows and slippers and coffee now. And uh, one of the prominent features of this guy is he talks like this. <laughs> and he has a little chain around his neck and a little cross hanging from his neck. Why does he wear that cross? Why do people wear a cross? They're saying, this is my identity. This is an important part of who I am. Well, I don't think this is a literal necklace here. It says, pride serves as their necklace. This person that we, none of us like very well, uh, at least not in our heart of hearts, pride is his necklace. When you see him and you see his actions, you say, I know that guy. He's a proud man. Uh, another word that pride is uh, used in a, I guess you'd call it a positive way, uh, but um, what I would use is the word arrogance. He's an arrogant man or woman. Violence covers them like a garment. Their faces bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. Uh, there is something about this that is really uh, telling when it says they have more than heart could wish. Uh, are you envious of those who have more than heart could wish? What does your heart wish for? What if all the things your heart wishes for you could have tomorrow morning when you wake up? Everything you wish for is there. You've got three cars, a couple a couple of them are 
antiques that of course need polishing, but, but uh, they're, they're the cars that you've dreamed of having. One perhaps is a uh, early version Corvette. Uh, another is one of the latest GMC Sierras with all the trimmings. Uh, it's got the stereo and the, all the electronics and you can sit up really high above the rest of the traffic. And you're somebody. And then you've got uh, land to take care of. And oh, then there's the boat. You've got to take care of that boat. And you've got a lot of free time, so you've got to have a camper to go in on the weekends. Uh, church will just have to be a, an occasional thing so you can do your camping if you go to church at all. Got all this stuff, more than you can put your mind around. And so what do they put their mind around? They put their mind around all their stuff. And what do they take time to do? Do they go uh, to the uh, soup kitchen and stand in line and serve the people that come through? Do they, uh, are they concerned about their neighbors who don't have a whole lot? No, they are uh, pretty satisfied. They have more than heart could wish. So they have uh, a distraction from the things that really matter. Things like uh, where will you spend eternity? Uh, where will your children spend eternity? Those are subjects that are not uh, on the person's mind because they've got so much stuff they've got to take care of. They don't have time for a Bible study or uh, going to church. They've got too much stuff that they are busy taking care of. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. I would say that's uh, getting pretty bold. Um, they speak, speak wickedly. They don't even hesitate to challenge God in their speech. That person is pretty far over the edge when uh, that is a part of their uh, lifestyle. Verse 9. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Their tongue walks through the earth. What is this tongue as they're walking through the earth saying? I think this tongue that's walking through the earth speaks as it walks. If it's somebody here in the community and you know this person, uh, their uh, reaction would be, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? You treat me, wait a minute, do you know who I am? I expect certain deferential treatment because I've got stuff. Lots of stuff. And there are those who actually uh, do, do uh, give them special deference. Therefore, his people, the people that are his buddies, his friends, those that are influenced by him, perhaps they are employees. Ooh, that's getting a little close, isn't it? Uh, Therefore, his people, his people, I'll send my people over. And when I do, well, therefore, his people 
return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. It's what they expect. They see how does God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? These are the ungodly who are always at ease. And so here, uh, the Christian person looks on and they say, well, one of these days, they're going to get their comeuppance. Uh, I think of the Apostle Paul. He was uh, shipwrecked on an island. And um, so he and all the people that came off the boat, they were starting to build a fire. And Paul was gathering up sticks to start a fire. And a snake comes out and bites him on the arm. And the people that were watching him said, ah, he may seem like he's okay and just a normal guy, but God has sent a snake to bite him. He's finally going to get his, they didn't use this word, his comeuppance. He's finally getting his. I don't want a show of hands, but if you've experienced this, you can relate to what I'm going to say. There are people in my life, in my past, uh, even probably in my current uh, circumstances, that I just so desire to see them get their comeuppance. And it bothers me that it doesn't seem to happen sometimes. They just keep going on and on. And it's like, God, do you see this? Do you see this? The Old Testament prophets did that oftentimes. They said, God, look what they're doing to your people. Are you going to do anything about this? It's not bad enough that they got all that, all that stuff, more than they need, more than their heart could wish, but it says they increase in riches, verse 12. Okay. Verse 15 tells me something that I think we need to be aware of. I'm sort of paraphrasing here. Verses 15 and 16, and this is what I would, how I would phrase it. And yet I know that for me to react wrongly to my temptations and fears and the things I've uh, seen, I would do a disservice to those who I'm responsible to and for. If I respond wrongly to what I see and say, okay, that's enough for me. I'm going to go get some of, some of this stuff myself. Who am I letting down? I'm letting down Jesus, if I'm a believer. I'm letting down my children because they see in me that I would prefer to have all this stuff and a prominent name than to have the stuff that Jesus has offered me. And I'm letting you down. If I'm in fellowship in a Christian community, I let those in, the, in that community down when I choose uh, the wrong path. And so he says, if I had said, I will speak, I'm going to let it all out. He says, I would have been untrue 
for the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Asa is saying, it's just too painful. I just can't comprehend it. I cannot reconciling it. And yet, I am called to be a leader in the worship of Israel, to praise the God of Israel. And for you, Christian, our responsibility is to teach our children, to uh, encourage one another, to sing the praises, to preach the praises of Jesus. And when we fail to do that, uh, we are um, failing in our responsibilities. I'm thinking how painful, I don't know how long this was going on in Asaph's heart and mind, but I'm thinking that probably week after week or day after day as he went up to the temple, he did his job, he sang the right songs, he said the right things, but there was this angst inside him. It was eating him away because he, he saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's too painful. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Okay, so, so if he did go into the temple, or in, what was he learning there? It's just a building. It's got these uh, things in there. There's an altar. There's, uh, you know, the candles and all that. What actually did he understand just because he'd gone there? Where do you go when you want understanding or uh, a way to accept what's happening with uh, those around that are ungodly? I would suggest we have this little program going on here at the chapel where we have uh, Bible reading, you know, read through the Bible in a year. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year, but I'll tell you where you need to go to, as I think it was Cool Hand Luke, the guy that was running the the camp, uh, his uh, concern for Luke was that he didn't have his mind right. He had to have a little uh, persuading. Where do you go to get your mind right? Might I suggest reading your Bible? Spend a lot of time reading your Bible. Because uh, by faith, you enter not the earthly sanctuary, but we have a hope that enters into that within the veil where the forerunner has preceded us. Jesus, Jesus is in the very presence of God. And we can... Uh, by faith, enter there. And this is what he says, Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. I think about this verse earlier. It says they have more than heart could wish. The sad thing about these people Perhaps when they were children, they heard the gospel. Perhaps there are friends that have tried to witness to them. 
Um, and yet they've turned away from that, and so they really have no, uh, no desire, no conviction to uh, think about what's hap- coming next when they pass from this scene. But they do pass from this scene. It says, as a dream when one awakens, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. I think of what it must have been like for that rich man who had lots of stuff. He had crops, and he said, hey, I got a problem here. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to fix things for me. And God said, you fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. And so he doesn't have an opportunity to change his mind. He is lost and lost forever. And there are those outside of Christ who seem to have no care for the things of God, and they will be lost and lost forever. I will condense verses 21 and 22. I would put it this way. I was so embarrassed to think that these thoughts were in my mind about the stuff that other people have that don't know Christ. I was such a fool. I was wasting all my energy in envy. I was foolish. I was ignorant. I was like a beast before you, meaning before God. Then he goes on for some very positive things. What did he learn when he went into into the uh, sanctuary? What do we learn when we actually look in God's word and say, Lord, teach me who I am, what I have. And he says this. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. That is our destination Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God it doesn't say that I'm going to get stuff as a result. I'm not going to have, that I'm going to have more than heart could wish other than spiritual things. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. He's saying, now I'm prepared with this change of heart and mind. I am prepared to be what you called me to be when I was sent into the temple to play music, and be a worship leader. I would like to share just a little bit more, and we'll be done on time. I was thinking of those beautiful songs that we have in our hymnals and how they are uh, so meaningful. I do want to mention one thing before I read this song. It says here, You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. I do think 
And you can correct me because I said this is what I think. Okay? There is, uh, I think, the possibility that believers can find themselves uh, far from home and far from God. And um, I think of the parable of the prodigal son, and I think oftentimes we use it in evangelism, but I think it could also be applied to the believer who finds himself far from home, uh, indulging in uh, self-interest and um, perhaps it would apply. Uh, not every person that is living a careless and ungodly life is a non-believer. Some believers do that. I think of Lot at the end of his uh, career in Sodom and Gomorrah. He had spent all this time with them, tried to be a, an influence on them, and had failed in that, and yet uh, he was a righteous person. God delivered him. And so there is a choice that we even have to make as believers. There is a difference between having eternal life through accepting the free gift of salvation, which, by the way, is a free gift. Jesus came into this world and died at the cross for sinners. And those who accept his death at Calvary as payment for their sin, they can accept eternal life, and they've got it. Eternally, won't be taken away. And yet, many believers turn aside because they have that distracted eye um, and experience chastisement and sometimes even worse than that. Here's a song I'd, I'd, I'd like to read just a little. I'll be a few minutes over. But it's uh, the song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And there's, uh, in this book that I've got, it's the songs, Then Sings My Soul. Uh, it tells about uh, George Beverly Shea and his experience with this song. Uh, his mother had put a, a poem on the piano where he grew up. He was 21 years old. He had gone out and uh, sung on an NBC show. Um, didn't win the prize, but he got $15 for, for singing a song. Um, and then he came home, and he was... He would, he was uh, having a taste, at least, of some, pro uh, some prominence in, in the world. And his mother left a poem on the piano. And he, he read the poem, which has been set to music, and decided his, his career would not be as a singer on NBC or any other television station for uh, financial gain. Let me just read it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. 
He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. I'd rather have Jesus than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Let's pray. Father, help us to recognize what we have in Jesus, not just in the salvation that brings us to heaven, but in the opportunity to make our lives a sacrifice that pleases him, an offering to the Lord Jesus for all he's done for us. Help us to live in light of Calvary and in light of our fantastic future. In Jesus' name, amen.